Welcome to the Empower Your English Learner podcast, where we explore research, instructional strategies, leadership practices, and community initiatives that move the needle for English learners in school systems around the country. If you are a teacher, a school-based administrator, a district leader, or anyone who wants to do more for this group of students, then we are your home. In these episodes, we will explore ways to actively engage English learners in learning in the classroom, how to empower them so that they can achieve at higher levels, and how to ensure that they're more engaged and connected in the school community. We look forward to going through some ideas with you in our upcoming episodes. All right. Well, welcome to the Empower Your English Learners podcast. I, it is a pleasure to be here with you today, Change Agents. And today we have with us an amazing educator who is going to be sharing some thoughts that she has about some of the things she's learned along the way as she's been a teacher, um, a central office administrator, a school-based administrator, a staff developer. And so just want it's a pleasure to have you here today, Jennifer Kraft. And we just want to learn from you. So can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you're about. So first of all, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, you know how passionate I am about the, uh, our multilingual learners. Um, and so I'm very excited to be here and talk about how we can ensure that they are getting what they need to be successful in schools. Um, so I have been in education for 26 years. Uh, 19 of those years were directly in uh, school, um, teaching students in some capacity. Um, and then the last um, about seven years, I've been at the district level. Um, so currently I am in a large suburban district um, where I'm the director of English language arts from pre-K to 12. Um, and so um, that encompasses curriculum, instruction, assessment, professional development, um, and ensuring that students have what they need. It's the, it's the one class that all students have to take um, from kindergarten through 12th grade for graduation. Um, and so uh, making sure that all our students have what they need so that they can graduate college and career ready, which a huge emphasis, of course, is um, making sure that students um, have the literacy skills that they need to then unlock whatever it is their post-secondary opportunities are for them. Um, and so I'm also currently at uh, Johns Hopkins. I'm in my last year of my doctorate and um, my uh, dissertation is around uh, the graduation rate of English language learners. That's fantastic. Well, thank you again for being here with us today. I know we have a lot to learn from you as we kind of talk through some of your experiences and what you've done, some of the work you've done at the school level and then also at the district level. So that being said, I know that you've been a teacher um, and you've had mul multiple roles as a teacher. So can you talk a little bit about some of the things you've learned as you've worked with diverse learners and English learners? And I know there's another term I know they'll probably hear us talk about as multilingual learners. So um, just wanted to kind of throw that out there too. Absolutely. So um, through my work, I have developed some core beliefs that I think are so important when working with diverse learners um, and our English language learners. And uh, so one of my bedrock ones that I, I've developed over the years 
and so we always say learning is our core purpose. And so the core beliefs I'm about to talk about is, well, how do we make that learning happen? And so my very core bedrock belief is about belonging and inclusion. And so it's so important to make sure that all students feel like they belong in the classroom, in the school, um, you know, that they are part of the community. Um, and so we know that when, um, from research, that when students' cultures um, are devalued or rejected, that it ultimately impacts the learning experience of those students. And so um, I always say, are we ensuring that all students feel like they belong? Another core belief I have is around rigor. Um, and, you know, I always believed in high expectations as a teacher. Um, however, it really hit home when I had an opportunity um, to bring back some students that had graduated from one of my districts um, and had gone on to a local college. And they came back and talked to a group of teacher leaders. And so they talked about how they were not ready for college, that they had not been prepared. And as several of the students said, they gave us easy work because they thought we couldn't do it. And I think that will always stick in my mind about what opportunities are we putting in front of students. And ultimately, I think that sometimes teachers think that they're helping students by being nice and giving them easier work, but they're actually um, limiting their future opportunities. And so rigor is so important for me to think about um, what do we need to do to make sure that every single student has access to a rigorous curriculum. Um, and I know that then we'll need to talk about what scaffolding is needed, but we'd never take away the rigorous curriculum grade level content from students. Mm -hmm. um, another one is around relationships. And so really understanding that you need to know your students, that you need to develop a relationship. Um, it's very hard to then um, make things, well, my next one is relevance. It's hard to make things relevant if you don't know who your students are. And so really understanding who your students are, who's sitting in your classroom, um, the connections that you can make with them um, so that they are there and they engage in the learning. Um, so my next one that I touched on is relevance. So just really thinking about why is it we're, what we're learning? Um, why is this important? Why is this important for me? Why is it important in the sequence of instruction? So as we start to think about spiraling standards and different things, understanding the continuity of where it goes in and why it's important. Um, and so those are really, I guess, um, what I would say are my you know, foundational core beliefs about um, how do we make sure learning happens for all students. And I love that focus on rigor, relationships, and relevance. Those three R's make such a big difference, right? As you were talking about rigor and some of the things that you heard students say, the fact that teachers gave them easy work or didn't give them access to that high-level work, that grade-level content that they deserve to have access to, it's such a huge thing. And I've noticed the same thing as I've worked in various districts with different teachers and also had the opportunity to sit and talk with students and, you know, and sometimes as a central office administrator. And that is something that I've heard come through time and time again, the fact that why is my teacher giving me easy work? Mm -hmm. When they do that, it just um, limits what they're able to do outside when they go beyond our walls of that, that schoolhouse, right? When Absolutely. They're to, when they're trying to get into a career, those limitations really hold them back. Um, love what you also said about relevance um, as well as relationships. And that's really so important. I know that from lots of conversations with counselors and in past episodes, you know, we had talked about that whole doing that root cause analysis and collaboration mm -hmm. and, and the, how important that is. And I know that the work of our counselors and making sure that 
we give them access and we're understanding where they're coming from is so important. Absolutely. Right. So that being said, I just wanted to kind of go on. I know that you've had some experience with literacy you've, and you've had a lot of experience in that area. <laughs> you've also worked with English learners in a variety of capacities, different grade levels. So just wanted to kind of ask you based on your experiences, what have you noticed at different levels, like the younger English learner and some considerations, the older English learner. So just kind of framing it from that perspective for our listeners. Sure. So I'm going to start with, um, because I think it helps center us that multilingual learners are the fastest growing student population in the United States currently, and that it's estimated by 2025 that one in four of our students will be an English language learner. So when you start thinking about about 25% of our students are going to be English language learners. And then let me add another piece. We already know that we're underserving um, that student group. It becomes really important to really try to figure this out because 2025 is only four years from now, which is crazy to me, right? So what is it that we can learn and do in the next four years so that we know that we can serve all English language learners well, um, regardless of what school or school district that they're in, that they that they all are going on to graduate, that they all have whatever post-secondary opportunities they have for them. So it's interesting when you say, what have I noticed between younger and older students? And what I would say is that, um, first of all, it's just, it's, you know, although I know it's an umbrella term, English language learners, our L's, are multilingual, um, that they're a very diverse group of students. So we do categorize them in that way, but then just to recognize um, that each student has a unique identity and how they, some of our students are English language learners were born in the United States. Others are coming to us where they have interrupted or no education, right? Like we have a very wide variety, um, but there are some things that I would say um, that we could look at that would help all of our students. And I'm gonna start with that first, we have to recognize their cultural, social and linguistic strengths that multilingual learners bring to the classroom. And that's, it doesn't matter if you're five or you're 15, or you're 18 about to graduate, that's the very first thing. So before we talk about anything else that I think will help younger or older students be successful, we have to recognize what they bring to the classroom. Their funds of knowledge is important and we have to recognize that. And so when we start to think about that, their linguistic strength, um, that they are gonna be um, bilingual, uh, trilingual. I mean, you know, some of our students have multiple languages, that is crucial to understand. They're not coming to us with a deficit, they're coming to us with an asset and that has to be recognized. Um, so for both younger and older students, I would say that there are some things that I think are really um, pivotal. And when we start to think about designing instruction and we think about universal design for learning, that's where we really start, right? Like we don't wanna be retrofitting curriculum. I mean, sometimes we have to when it's necessary in, in the lessons, but from the very beginning, when we design our lesson, whether you're a curriculum writer or you're a teacher in the classroom, you should be thinking about how do I make this lesson accessible for all? So the things that I'm about to say that will be good for our younger and our older English language learners, guess what? They're good for a lot of our learners, right? Um, and so some of the things that I think are really important for teachers to keep in mind are vision. So thinking about what do I need to, to accompany this lesson with um, to help unpack that. And the visuals could be lots of different things. You could even show a brief video, um, but really helping to understand, to access the content, what is it that you can pair it with? 
Um, as a teacher, what can you model? So if you're asking them to get ready to do a think pair share or to you know, have an academic conversation, what can you model for the students so that they understand what those expectations are? And so really doing you know, those think alouds for students or you know, um, partnering with a student in the class and modeling a conversation before you have students do that, again, benefits all students. Vocabulary instruction. So, you know, you talked about my area of literacy. So, you know, I can't ever get too far away from literacy, but vocabulary instruction is crucial. And it's really funny because when you first said younger and older students, you know, word walls popped into my head. But guess what? They're not just for kindergarten students. They're, I have seen them used in biology classes and algebra classes, and they are powerful. I actually had an opportunity to talk to um, some students that were in algebra and they were implementing word walls for the first time. And they were like, and they said, I use that all the time. It helps me so much. They said, I know where to look on the wall even now because I because that's where they're hanging, right? And so thinking about, you know, word walls. Um, some and some teachers don't do word walls. They might have students do individual glossaries. But the idea is that you have some core vocabulary that's important. And if it's important enough for it to be core vocabulary, how are you making sure students know it and they can access it? Um, we are so lucky to have technology now. Like I think about when I first started teaching, um, students did not have their own Chromebooks or laptops or anything, right? But oh, <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, so I'm thinking about, um, you know, Google Translate. There's lots of things you have to remember as L1 and or their native language moving to English that you use their native language as a strength, right? Like that's not a limitation. That's an asset, right? Um, Providing sentence or paragraph frames mm. uh, to help students. Now, gradually, obviously, we, we fade those out. But in the beginning, those are so helpful to get that academic language that you want. Um, and then um, always, always, always with all of your students, but particularly English language learners, you want to create an environment where it's okay to make mistakes and to take risks. Exactly. And so as a teacher, you can model that. I would tell my kids mistakes all the time. And sometimes I would just make them on purpose. So I'd be like, oh, I, I spelled that wrong, but I see it now. I'm going to fix it. I'm so glad that I caught that. Um, and so, you know, really understanding that um, that learning is a process and it's messy. Um, mm -hmm. So we used to do um, my favorite mistake and we would look at different um, student work and we would and I'd like, I love this mistake because the first time I did it, I did it like this myself mm -hmm. um, and allowing students the freedom to really feel like um, I can try and it's OK to not be right the first time. Right, right. Um, well said, and I know that you made a comment, I think, earlier about the different kinds of word walls, and I, in this virtual environment, I've also loved to see those vocabulary dictionaries that yes, will create I love them. Google Docs on there, so they have one for themselves, and in some cases, they're even able to share it with a friend. Yes, yes. It's just so amazing when we take some of those concepts that are in the real, in the classroom. Yes. We kind of transform them into this new virtual um, remote learning format, right? And, you, and I mean, you just hit on another area that I think is super important, which is collaboration. So when you talked about having that vocabulary journal online, I can now share this with everybody. It can be a collaborative effort, right? Um, and so the more opportunities we give students to collaborate um, or to try things out before I just cold call them, you know, letting them talk to a partner first um, is really important. And so the more opportunities, like 
like less teacher talk, more student talk um, and giving them that time to feel secure before I would ask them to speak in front of the whole class. Absolutely. Now, I know that in your work, um, Jennifer, you've worked at the school level, you've worked at the district level, right? So I know you've actually been kind of working both as a teacher, but also kind of coaching teachers, right? Mm -hmm. So in the work that you've done around supporting those diverse learners and English learners, multilingual learners, I know different people have different terms. What are some things that, you're, that you've learned that can really help our listeners at the school level and then at the district level? Just so those think abouts to really make sure we're engaging and we're making sure that our learners have the opportunities to learn is being maximized, right? Yeah, so, so I am, a huge proponent of professional development when it's done well. Mm. And so I have to throw out a number for you because I think that is, as um, our, you know, we have district leaders listening, um, 49 hours, 49 hours of professional development is when you will actually see results um, in student achievement, um, which sounds like a lot, right? Um, and so a lot of times we're, we, it's the soup du jour, right? So this week we're going to do something on um, literacy and next week we're going to do something on L's and the week after we're going to do something on special ed. And, and so you're getting an hour of this, an hour of this, an hour of this. But what, what I would venture to say is that if you make a con concentrated professional development plan that's going to hit that 49 hours, which is not all stand and deliver professional development, that's embedded um, job coaching and you know working with peers, all kinds of things that again, the things that you do for English language learners, multilingual learners are gonna benefit all students. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to think about these embedded strategies um, that will help all students, it's worth it to spend the time to actually work through all, all year um, creating environments for students. And so um, we talked through several strategies earlier. Um, and one thing that we also, um, you know, haven't touched on, but the idea of understanding standards. And although we've had, you know, the standards around for a while, um, we still have various degrees of familiarity with standards in schools and districts. Um, and so it's very hard to teach to standard if you don't know what the standard is. And so some of the professional development that I've seen that's been particularly impactful is unpacking the standards and then also coming back and after you've taught whatever that standard is in a lesson, coming back and looking at student work together. Right. So some of them. So when you ask me if what some of the most impactful professional development is, it's really that collaboration PLC time of teachers working together and saying, what are we looking for? What are the what's the criteria for success? So if we're both teaching the same um, content, um, Sanja, so if we're both in a school and we're teaching um, English 10, um, mm -hmm. that we have come together and said, we've looked at this assignment, and this is what we think that students need to do to meet it. And then we're gonna come back and look at student work together. Exactly. And even more powerful, we're gonna grade it. We might trade papers. You might grade my kids and I might grade yours because we're that comfortable that we've taught it. We've said what the criteria are and we're not, you know, that we, we could actually grade each other's papers. Um, and it's that conversation that you're having about, well, why do you think that this is, if you're using a rubric, why do you think this is a four instead of a three? Mm -hmm. That is key because until we have that consistent um, idea of what success is for a standard, for a lesson, for an, a test and an assignment, 
um, we will continue to create uneven learning opportunities for students. And so that is really, really powerful. So yes, there is time to stand and deliver professional development, but a bulk of your time should be allowing those PLCs to collaborate and doing job embedded coaching um, through um, the PLCs, through um, peers going and visiting each other's classrooms, um, through those types of opportunities. Yeah, I love how you define professional learning because you really, as I'm kind of like just reiterating what you're saying, it's not just about the standing in front and doing the session and the teacher sitting and listening, but it's about taking it and actually embedding it into their practice, right? Yes. I love that what you said about the peer to peer going in and observing each other, really understanding what's happening, what's working, what's not working, the whole feedback structure that goes along with that. That makes that so powerful. And that being said, Jennifer, it made me think a little bit about equity. I know that's something that's a term we throw around a lot. We say that we want equity for our um, English learners and diverse learners. But can you just kind of talk a little bit more about what does it mean and how does it relate back to that professional development work and the leadership work that's happening? So equity is such a loaded word. I love the word equity. Um, I'm gonna tell you in a minute about how I keep it hanging um, on my computer, but um, people throw it around a lot and people have lots of different definitions and there's so many equity PDs and equity webinars and equity books and, um, yeah. And, you know, really at the end of the day, um, we have to understand that equi equity means, if I'm just gonna boil it down, um, everybody gets what they need. Yes. And so that's heavy. I mean, I just said it really like, it sounded simple, like everybody gets what they need. When you really think about it though, that is a tall order. And right now, most students um, that are multilingual learners are not getting what they need. So here's what happens is we have to think about when we say equity and we say, oh, but I am giving everybody what they need, then there are there are performance markers that you need to look at. Right. And so there's lots of ways you can look at it. And I'm not going to just say, I mean, yes, look at your SAT scores. Yes, look at your um, state scores. And yes, look at your graduation rates and look at your GPAs, but also look at who's sitting in what classes look at who has what opportunities right. those are the things that are going to really tell you um are you hitting your mark with equity is every student in your school is every student in your classroom is every student in your district getting what they need to be successful and until we're there then we're not being equitable and so um i keep a um it's actually in my um note my meeting notebook and it's also on my computer and it says equity doesn't happen by accident equity mm -hmm. has to be intentional yeah. it's not just going to happen because you think you're being fair or you think you you know how you did it last semester seemed fair and you're going to do it equity means you have to be intentional to say i'm going to look at these 25 kids in my classroom and saying are they all getting what they need exactly. and if they're not i'm going to do something different so that is so powerful and it's so important that it's about how do we operationalize equity, make it come alive for every single kid that's sitting in the classroom. So that being said, I wanted to just kind of broaden that same lens to the district level. Okay. So we think that we know that we want it to happen in the classroom, but what does equity really look like? And what are some of those caveats and challenges that, um, and really I think sometimes it's really just those, um, 
those areas to be careful in when we think about equity and what it really means for all schools? So uh, such a great question. Um, and I'm so glad you asked it because I think that um, there's a lot of work to be done at the district level around equity. Um, and so some people have embarked on equity audits and you know there you can obviously read more about that or I certainly can come back a different time and talk to about those more. Um, but what I would <laughs> but what I would say is um, where is the district spending their money? Um, where, you know, how are students being scheduled? Um, who goes to what school? Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, when you start looking at some of these questions at the district level, then you have to really say, if you're spending twice as much on your magnet programs as you are programs for your multilingual learners, that tells you something, right? That's right. Um, if you um, look at how um, staffing occurs, and you see staffing in other areas two or three times the size of your English language learners, but then you're looking at their that 10, you know, 10% of them are passing the state exams and, you know, 60% of them are graduating. You have to say, do we have, have we staffed correctly, right? So it's a, a combination of human resources and economic resources um, to really say, are we being equitable? Again, not equal, okay, because equal is not equitable. Equitable means everyone gets what they need. That's right. Some of our students have not only have what they need, but then they have extras, right? That's right. And then some of our students don't even have close to what they need to be successful. And so you have to really take a, a long, hard look at that. I can talk a little bit, um, just I know we just have a few more minutes, but um, we're currently doing an equity audit in our English language arts and we're looking at our curriculum. Okay. Who, who's included in this curriculum and what we know, and I'm not speaking about our curriculum particularly, but this is just across the United States, is that the curriculum is Eurocentric, it's male dominated, it's Western, it's very heteronormative and, right. and uh, leaves out a lot of students. Well, exactly. when students don't see themselves reflected, um, again, we go back to, remember we started the whole podcast with rigor and relevance and identity, right? Like when they don't see themselves in the curriculum, that causes lots of issues. First of all, we can talk about engagement. We can talk about then how I feel about my academic identity, how I even feel about doing this work, right? right. Um, and one of our students said in a student panel, um, it was a 12th grader and she said that it, this was the first year that she had read a book with a Latino in it. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah. And so we recognize that's a problem. As soon as I heard that, I said, all right, we're going to take a look at the entire curriculum and we're going to say, is this an inclusive curriculum for all? And if not, when our audit results come back after we finished, if not, what are we going to do about it? That's exactly right. Well, Jen, I think we've hit on a couple of great things today. We've talked about rigor, relevance, relationships, and equity. And I believe that all of these things need to be on the forefront of the work that we're doing if we really want to make a difference for our English learners. So before we leave, where can folks find you online? Oh, wow. Um, so do you want an email or what would you like? Yeah, whatever way. I mean, I, it could be a, um, a website. I am, I am on Twitter, uh, <laughs> which I, I do um, put lots of great resources out on there. So that would be a great place to start. Um, so it's, it's Jen L. Craft, so it's J-E-N-L-C-R-A-F-T. 
um, is my handle. And so that's a great way to connect. And you can also just direct message me if you would like to connect and talk more. Um, but I do tweet out lots of great resources and particularly focused on diverse and multilingual learners. So um, I would love to connect with you. Please feel free to reach out to me and um, we could um, connect. Thank you so much, Jen. And thank you, everyone. And as we've always say at the end of most of our podcasts, be the change that you want to see in the world. All right. Well, um, Jen, it was really a pleasure. Um, Visit us at createsolutions.us and let us work with you to develop diverse learners and leaders so that they can become change agents in their fields of study and industry.